0: We have waited a long time for this. As Aubrey said, if you haven't been with us, we began looking at the life of Abraham eight to nine weeks ago. But for Abraham and Sarah, uh, this journey of leaving their home life and of walking with God, that journey in itself has been over 20 years. But besides that journey, Sarah has been barren uh, all of her life. She, She, at this point, is 90 years old. And sees little hope, absolutely no hope actually, of having children. But since the very beginning, we heard that Abraham would become a father. And though since then he did become a father, uh, it wasn't one of Sarah and Abraham's brightest moments. The child came through Abraham's wife's handmaid, a decision that was made in a relationship that was created out of a lack of faith. And we quickly discovered that that wasn't at all what God had in mind for Abraham and Sarah. God would give Abraham a child through his elderly, barren wife. And after much waiting, after many trials, the promised child arrives. And the most apparent truth in this story, particularly verses 1 through 7, is that the promise, the promise of Isaac, the arrival of Isaac, is only carried out through God's faithfulness. Through God's faithfulness. Do you you remember what was said about Sarah when the story of Abraham began? In Genesis 11, chapter 11, verse 30, the author tells us, Now Sarah was barren. She had no child. This couplet, a a twice-stated fact of her own brokenness, her inability to perform a central function of her creation, to be a mother. Beyond her name, it's the only thing that we know. She can't have children. And then in chapter 21, verse 1. Here, as soon as the chapter begins, it says, "...the Lord dealt with Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised." The twice-stated barrenness is replaced. It's usurped by a repeated statement of God's faithful deliverance of his promise, his faithful dealing with Sarah, his intimate caring for Sarah. Do you remember Sarah's first words? The first time she speaks, it's in chapter 16, and it's of her barrenness. She tells her husband, You see that the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my slave girl. Barrenness was the way Sarah identified herself. But God overcomes her barrenness and he does it in a way that makes clear that it's him. Three times in seven verses here, Abraham's old age is mentioned as an impediment to the process. Sarah is still mindful of this long period of barrenness. Who would have ever said to Abraham that I would nurse children? And the timing... Isaac comes just when the Lord said he would come. The question God posed to Sarah in chapter 18 is now answered. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Isaac's arrival is, is a proof that nothing is too hard for the Lord. I wonder if you ever feel like Sarah. And guys, it's okay to feel like Sarah. That the main source of our, your identity Is in your failure. Whether by yourself or by other people. You've been defined by your weaknesses. It was in Sarah's this deepest hurt. The place she felt the deepest failure. That God gave her the greatest blessing and the greatest joy of her life. But that's so hard to believe that God will do that, isn't it? That in the place that we're most wounded, God will somehow bring the greatest blessing in our lives? Will you believe? Can you believe that God will be faithful to you in the way that he's been faithful to Sarah? That out of your deepest wound, he can bring the greatest joy. Aubrey used a phrase several weeks ago. The the gift is in the wound. That's what's happening to Sarah. It was such a long process. So many years and it came to the point to where it was impossible except by the power of God for her to have a child. And that is when she had a child. Friend, do you believe that that's where God can work in your life? Where impossibility meets the power of God? And that he can heal you. That he can bless you. That he can use your weakness to bring joy. But this isn't just about Sarah. It's not just about Sarah. It's not just about Abraham or Isaac. Sarah's barrenness was an expression of the deep barrenness of the entire world because of evil. Do you remember God commanded the first humans to populate the earth, to bring out of creation everything they would need for life to be fruitful? Their success was virtually guaranteed because the earth was created so rich and so good. It was filled with life. But their rebellion against God caused a rupture throughout all creation. It filled creation, including their own bodies. No longer would men and women be able to draw out of creation its full potential. Work would mean harder labor and less productivity. More pain. Less fruit. And equally significant, when humans did draw things out of creation, instead of being mindful of their creator, they became prideful. Notice what Eve, the first woman, said after giving birth to her first son. This is following their rebellion and their fall. Eve became pregnant and gave birth to Cain and she said, I have created a man just as the Lord did. Instead of working as stewards of God's creation, humans tried to work independently of God. You know, likewise, just before Abraham is introduced into the storyline, humans have gathered to build this massive city in Genesis 11, and a tower that would reach into the sky. And it says their goal was to make a name for themselves. It's a clear example of human pride. To have one's name known and proclaimed throughout the earth. It's against that backdrop, the brokenness of the earth because of sin. But then also the pride of humanity, the desire to become independent of God. It's against that backdrop that God fulfills this promise to Abraham and Sarah. And it tells us two things. First, there's the indication that the healing of the world has begun. Abraham and Sarah are a new Adam and Eve. They're called to populate the earth, to become the father and mother of nations and to be a blessing for all people. But obviously they're not able to do it. Sarah is not able to have children. So God gives them a child. He heals their brokenness. So they might do what Adam and Eve were called to do. The arrival of Isaac in such a miraculous way means that the renewal of the world is coming. It's on track. It's on track. It's like the scene in uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Do you remember when the ice has covered Narnia for so long and then it begins to thaw? The green appears for the first time in ages. You see the budding of flowers. One of the characters sees it and says, Aslan is coming. Isaac's birth means that God has not abandoned humanity. He's not abandoned his creation. God is redeeming creation. Secondly, though, it tells us that true healing, Isaac's birth tells us that true healing, the type of deep renewal that we need, that Abraham and Sarah needed, doesn't come about by sheer will, by any human ingenuity. True healing comes about through the work of God in humans. It comes about when humans work with God in creation, not independently of God. You know, Isaac's birth has come after years of pain and trials for Abraham and Sarah. Years of prayer. Years of learning what it means to walk with God. Of making mistakes. And of experiencing God's mercy. And despite all that waiting, Isaac comes just at the appointed time. You know, Eve, this is in contrast... ...to the other things we see in Genesis in the earlier chapters. Eve had Cain with no evident trouble. But her own pride was multiplied in Cain. And Cain killed his brother. Ishmael even, Abraham's first son, he was obtained with little trouble... ...as far as we know in terms of getting pregnant or the birth itself. But he came through this clever plan that God never approved... And so his birth led to a breach between Abraham and Sarah. These are examples of the pain caused when humans try to live apart from God. When we try to work on our own. The promise that Abraham and Sarah longed for. The birth of a child between them. It only came when they worked alongside God. When they waited for God. I don't want to oversimplify here. We... We know that humans do many great things in the world. But you know the idea that human progress and that innovation is making humanity better. That one day we'll have complete peace as a result of human progress. Haven't we seen the lie in that? It just clothes our evil in more civility. It doesn't actually make us better people. Friends, the real healing of the world only comes through the power, the faithful promise of God. And so as you think about this story, about the lives of Abraham and Sarah, everything they've been to up until this point, and then God's deliverance of this promise, I wonder, are are you trying to put your life together by yourself? I mean, we all want to have better lives. We all want to get our lives in order. And you might get somewhere, but do you realize that the healing you really want in your life, the healing you really want in your family, the joy you really want in your vocation, those things only come when you really give yourself to your creator. Are you trying to do your work in the home or outside the home? Live your life independently of God. You know, we could become just like Eve or just like the men at Babel. We, we could grasp for more, scheme, and maybe discover success. But we'll also find ourselves on a track to greater pride and little humanity. Little genuine humanity. C.S. Lewis, in his fantastic chapter on pride, he calls it the great sin, says, It's the utmost evil which leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. Do you have pride in yourself? In your own ability to bring out of the world what is needed, what creation needs? If the story of Abraham and Sarah tells us us anything, it's that God's plan for the world only moves forward with the power of God working in humans as they work alongside of their Creator. But it takes humility. It takes humility to wait on God and to work alongside Him. Are you working alongside God? Or are you trying to work yourself? Find your own way in the world. The story of Abraham and Sarah is to wait on God and to see his faithful deliverance of the promise. He does it just like he said he would for Abraham and Sarah. You know, we might expect this new era after this of marital and familial bliss. If this was a fairy tale, the story would close right after verse 7 with they lived happily ever after. But it's not, is it? Instead, Isaac's arrival creates a test that Abraham never imagined. A test that will require greater faith than any prior test that Abraham, Abraham has experienced. And so as we continue to look at how this promise plays out, it must play out through the faith also of humanity. The faith of humanity in God. You know, Isaac was probably three years old when he was weaned. And Abraham hosts this great feast to celebrate. But on this day, Sarah sees Ishmael and Abraham, uh, Abraham's other son by Hagar. And he's playing with Isaac. We actually don't know that it's as innocent as playing. You heard that probably in the passage from Galatians. That he was taunting or he was persecuting the other son. The verb is this intensive form of Isaac's name. We know that Isaac's name means laughing. But it's when it's used in this way; it's very possible that it actually means something like mocking. Considering the circumstances of Isaac's birth, and Ishmael is a firstborn half brother, it's not difficult to imagine this occasion. Whatever's going on, the sight of these two children together, Isaac and Ishmael, instigates this concern in Sarah. She's concerned that Ishmael will inherit something equal or even greater than Isaac. When you're a 93-year-old woman and you have a son who's three, inheritance issues are a legitimate concern, right? <laughs> she takes this to Abraham and she tells him to deal with it. Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman will not inherit along with my son Isaac. Did you see how Abraham reacted? It was with deep, Sadness. It says he was in deep distress because of his son. You know, whatever comes next, we have to know whatever decision Abraham makes, it's not because he doesn't care about Ishmael. Abraham loves Ishmael to the extent that this decision causes the sadness in him. And it's not because Abraham is a henpecked man who just does whatever his wife says. But in fact, Sarah's maternal instincts are in tune with what God wants. So God comes to Abraham. He affirms what Sarah has said. And he promises him. God promises to Abraham that he will take care of Ishmael. Of all the tests of Abraham, he hasn't had one like this. To give up Ishmael will be the most painful of all. His other steps of faith had to do with war. There was entertaining strangers. There was interceding for this entire nation. Have you noticed this? That Abraham, when it has come to these grand occasions, he has stood out as an amazing man of faith. But when it comes to his immediate family, if you happen to hear last week and see the passage from last week, Abraham has struggled. We've seen weakness as he tries to care for his entire family. But God is teaching him how to take care of his home. That this matters even more than the grand occasions. This is one of the most important decisions he will ever make. To keep Ishmael will endanger the status of Isaac as the promised child. Do you see what's going on here? It's so easy to miss it. Ishmael himself is not the main problem. Paul even shows that in Galatians. Though he might have instigated this this kind of mocking, it's not Ishmael the person that is the main problem. It's what Ishmael represents. Ishmael became Abraham's child In the way we talked about a moment ago. Through cleverness and through the faithlessness of Abraham and Sarah. He represents the path, the way of the flesh and pride. Moving forward in the world the way we want and on our timetable. Trying to move God's plan along in our own way. But Isaac became their child through God's fulfillment of his promise. These two children represent Two very different approaches to life. Trust in God or trust in oneself. There's the way of Ishmael and then there's the way of Isaac. If Ishmael stays around and splits the inheritance with Isaac, it makes it appear that both paths are legitimate. That one can either move God's plan forward... In the way that they want, find a way, or that one has to wait to trust God and to see God fulfill His promises in His way. To send Ishmael away is to protect the promise, it's to show that the only way creation will be renewed, the world will be healed, is through God's faithfulness. Abraham has to protect his family and the work God is doing by sending Ishmael away. But again, it's still not easy. He isn't sending his son off to college. It's sending his son off forever. He's essentially sacrificing Ishmael as his son, giving him over to God. Abraham has to trust that God can take care of Ishmael. And in this incredible show of faith, Abraham does it. He trusts God. The fact that he does it shows that he's grown in faith. Abraham cares so deeply for Ishmael, but evidently as Abraham saw God to fulfill his promise and bring Isaac into his family, he's grown in courage. He's seen that this is a God who will fulfill his promises. And so he's faithful to God through his most difficult test yet. It's, this is a complex issue. As I said before, it's not about Ishmael as a person. But there are times when we have to give up something that is so important to us, maybe something in itself that is not bad, that's not evil, but it's necessary to give it up to preserve what's most important. Do you see what Abraham had to do? He had to send off Ishmael to preserve the thing that was most important in his life and in his relationship with God. And in that case, when we have to do things like this, we have to trust that God can take care of whatever it is that we have to give up. Whether it's a thing or whether it's a person, we have to trust that whatever we give up, God will take care of us and he will take care of that. Do you have an Ishmael in your life? Something that prevents you from caring for the things that are most central to who you are and how God has designed your life. But there is the question, does God really care for Ishmael? Does he? Or is Ishmael just a foil for the good son, Isaac? The rest of this section through verse 21 shows God's deep concern for Ishmael. Once they're gone, Hagar and Ishmael find no one to take care of them. They're depicted as utterly rejected and helpless. There's no water left. Hagar believes that she's just waiting for both of them to die. But instead, God comes to them in their loneliness, in their isolation. He, He rescues them. And this is simply one story. To show how God is faithful to Ishmael throughout his life. It says that God was with Ishmael. Friend, Abraham gave up Ishmael and God took great care of him. Do you believe that God will take care of you in whatever you give up? That God will not only take care of you, but he'll take care of that. He'll take care of the person or the thing. That whatever you give up in faith... God will be faithful to you. Abraham's faith is so significant in this section. He had to protect the promise. He had to trust in God enough to to take this step of faith. But God's faithfulness, again, is the central point. God cares for Sarah. He cares for Abraham and for the promised son, Isaac. And he cares for Ishmael. He fulfills his promises to all of them but the way we see god working here fulfilling his long given promises it's the way he's worked throughout history it's the way god continues to work in our lives and in the world you know one of the greatest and his greatest promise he said he would send a redeemer for mankind for all creation a son of abraham who would rescue hum- humanity and the creation from all evil Much like Isaac, he came in a surprising way. God's own son was born to a virgin. Another proof that God's project of renewal won't come by man's striving. It won't come by man's strength, but it only comes in God's own power and in God's own time. Jesus lived as a man. He was brutally killed. But again, in God's power, in his faithfulness, Jesus rose from the dead. And God promises that all who believe in Jesus will receive new life through His Spirit. they live by faith. They'll work not for their own pride, but for the good of creation and for God's kingdom. Do you see the consistent theme? God is renewing creation. He's renewing humanity through His own power and faithfulness to His promises. This means that when our work every day is done in faith... That it's not done in vain. That our work actually means something. When it's done in trust in God and in the power of His Spirit, it doesn't matter whether that work is in business. It doesn't matter if that work is in sales or in law. It doesn't matter if it's done at school. It doesn't matter if it's done in the home. When our work is done in prayer and in the power of God's Spirit, God blesses The work, it's not necessarily just success that he blesses it with. But when it's done in his spirit, it means something. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians, that work, that labor is not done in vain. Do you have faith like Abraham? Abraham had to realize that the way of Ishmael, The way represented by Ishmael. The way of the flesh. Of trying to find one's own way in life. Moving forward by your own means. It was completely wrong. And not only that. As Abraham experienced personally. It only resulted in turmoil. The only way to follow God. Is by trusting that God is faithful. He fulfills all his promises. Friend do you. Do you trust in God's love for you in Jesus Christ? Do you trust that you really don't have to earn your way or your keep? In fact, you can't. God just loves you. He just loves you. You can't make Him love you, He just does. Do you trust in the new life that he gives you through his spirit, that your old way of pride, fear, whatever your vices were, can be put to death and that you can grow in faith and love through his spirit? When you go through your day, do you trust more in yourself or in God to really just make things happen? It doesn't matter what it is. Do you rely on yourself or in God to make things happen? It doesn't matter how small it is. Our church is in the season of prayer and fasting for a potential church plant. Are we trusting in God that this only comes through his power, through his faithfulness and his promise to build his kingdom? Incarnation has been remarkably successful. Do we think, oh, it'll just we'll just do it again? No. No. The work of God comes through his power to do it, his way, his time of doing it. I'll close with this. Sometimes it's hard to know whether we're trusting God in ourselves. This idea of trusting in God's faithfulness can be so abstract. And we can even fool ourselves by talking a lot about God's faithfulness. A concrete way, one of the most concrete ways we see Abraham learning to trust God is through prayer, through interacting with God. You see, our prayers are a gauge for measuring our dependence on God or our dependence on ourselves. Are your prayers only about the big things in life? Are they about everything? Trusting that God is concerned with every aspect of your life. Will you lean into God, his love for you in Christ and his power that he can grant you through his spirit? Will you trust him? He's faithful. This is this chapter is about God's faithful deliverance of his promise. And it's about trusting in God with our lives that God's work is done in his power. Not in our own. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit.